absolutely everything about that night had them on tilt. All of them had murder on their mind. They all knew it was going to be a bloody affair. What they didn't know, how many bodies were going to be left on the floor come morning. Certain death. Just who and how many. The little band of men has already traveled well inside the enemy's territory. And now close to headquarters, everything gets sort of cloak and dagger. Everything starts changing the speech into like code and code words. In fact, two of you, I want you, and, and I want you. I want you to go inside their headquarters. I want you to go up to the gate and just wait there. I've got a guy on the inside. He's going to be carrying a jug of water on his head. That's right, a guy. Keep your cloaks over your eyes. Keep your face down toward the cobblestone. The little city has swelled about 12 times its normal population. Every good family in the nation wants to celebrate this feast in their capital. The streets are going to be crowded at sandal to sandal, shoulder to shoulder. Just wait by the gate. The rest of the town have eyes wide, wonder what in the world is going on. Out of all the cities we've walked into and out of, nothing like this before, and two of them. Two of them take off. They put their backs against the large stone walls of the inner city, cloaks down over their eyes, and they just wait. Water jug, woman. Here comes a water jug, and woman. Another, it's a woman. A water jug, woman. And as they wait, as the minutes tick by, it seems like hours. They feel like as if everyone's staring at them, like they're being recognized. Water jug, man. As the guy goes through the thick of the crowd and inside the gate, they turn and they start to follow him keeping five to eight people in between. Keep an eye on that water jug. As they walk down the main street, the Middle Eastern sun is pounding off of the bricks and the walls. The city keeps out all wind and all breeze. There's a stench of human odor and heat that rises up off of the pavement. The amount of people that are making last-minute preparations. Everyone is going to celebrate the same meal. Everyone is going to have the exact same things on their table that night. Everyone is going to have a little mixture of, of apple and cinnamon that's all been pounded together, and it's, it's supposed to look like mud. It's to remind you your people were once slaves and made bricks. Everyone's going to have a little bowl with salt water and bitter herbs. And you take the bitter herbs and you dip them in the salt water and you eat them, and it reminds you of the bitterness of slavery and the, the tears of the Egyptians when their nation got torn apart. Everyone's going to have bread that didn't have time to rise, a flatbread that's going to be torn and eaten. And every household that day would have killed a lamb and roasted it, not boiled it, roasted it over fire. And the entire lamb has to be consumed. Everyone's going to have the same cups of wine on the table, cups of promises of what was and, and what is to come. With the streets crowded with the amount of tourists and people, they follow the water jug. Two blocks down and he moves to the right and they follow it's a short little, about 100 yards, and then another left. And as they move into the inners of the city, the roads get more narrow and narrow. Now it's more or less sidewalks between large stone houses. And you're going between people and bumping, keeping an eye on it, and then the jug disappears. He's put it on the stoop of the house. And it's there they remember what they were told to speak from outside the walls. <clears throat> and as they approach the man who's working on the large wooden door and the latch to open it. The master wants to know if the room 
they're hushed. The owner of the house quickly looks up and down the street with the crowd of people walking by. Did anyone hear? What he's about to do is high treason. Did anyone hear? I've got a room for you guys upstairs, but if it's found out, they'll kill my wife and they'll kill my kids. Did anybody hear? And when the crowd outside seems to go about their business unnoticed, he nods to the left. The two follow him to an outside stairway. He goes to an upper room, and there he opens the door. And only when they're inside and the door is shut, he begins to speak. I've tried to get all the preference I can for you. There's going to be 13 of you, right? Everyone's going to have a chair. There's still stuff to be done, but you guys can work on the rest of it. And no sooner did he open the door and come in and promise them absolute secrecy, he disappears downstairs. And the two get busy. And under the cloak of darkness... The other 11 start making their way to the house and up the stairway and to the table. Maybe you've seen the picture. It's that famous Last Supper. Maybe you've seen the picture of Jesus standing there with this like halo glow around him. The 12 disciples all on one side of the table. It's that famous upper room. It's the last night of freedom he will ever have with his disciples before his death. It is famous last words. It is the last message as if it's Friday night and they're going home tomorrow, as if the cabins have to be cleaned and they'll take off in all different directions in cars and vans and SUVs and buses. And if this was the last message he wanted to tell to his crew, then I'm going to rip it off. And it's the last message I'm going to tell you. We've been watching Daniel and the boys every night. We saw Daniel now older in age, a family of his own. She's Danielle, but remember, he's done 66 years in Babylon, which means if he was 16 or 17 when they were taken, he's 82, 83. We have Daniel in the lion's den, but it should be grandpa in the lion's den. He was into his 70s or 80s when he was thrown into a lion's den. He's lived a long life, and in chapter 9, he simply has a prayer. A prayer for forgiveness and a prayer that he will continue. A prayer that he will be faithful. But as you saw in the video, it's a prayer that's lacking. It's a prayer that God keeps you sort of at, at an arm's distance. It's a prayer where you work for God and you work for God and you work for God. And at the end, it's going to be worth it because you get heaven. And in the Old Testament, that was their hope. In their Old Testament, it was a faith walk, a walk of obedience. But since Jesus, we have a different camp talk on the last night. At the end of the night, I hope and pray you never, ever, ever find yourself working for God. Because the reality is you can do nothing for him. Nothing for him. There's nothing you can give him that he can't get on his own. The only thing he wants is you. And you can't earn it. You'll never deserve it. You'll never live up to it. It is grace that we talked about last night. And Jesus wants to hit it the last night. He has with his fishermen. So we're in John chapter 15, following a prayer of Daniel, a speech of commitment. John chapter 15. They sit in the upper room. And in John 14, he started his speech. He tells them at the end of 13, look, it's time for me to go. And they're like, we're going with you. He goes, where I'm going, you cannot go. And they said, we'll follow you everywhere. And he said, it's my time to die. And they said, we're going to die with you. And he goes, no, you don't, you don't need to die with me. This is a solo sacrifice. I'm going to prepare a place for you 
so that where I'm going, you can be with me as well. In my father's house are many rooms. If this wasn't the truth, I wouldn't be telling you this. I'm going to heaven. I'm making a place for you so that forever we can get out of Babylon. We can have the freedom that I promised. The Lord just show us the way, they ask. And he goes, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. It's me. It's Jesus. It's not a book. It's not memorization. It's not what you do. He is. He's the way to heaven. He's the truth. And he's got to be your life. One of the disciples says, can you just show us God? He goes, how can you ask that? After I've been with you for so long, anyone who has seen me has seen God. One of the most ridiculous, audacious claims in all of humanity or the son of God who backed it up by splitting time to 2023, still having Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving on our calendar. Savior or swear word, you decide. He says, let me tell you the plan. You just follow me, obey me, and I'm going to send the spirit, and the spirit's going to be in you just as the father was in me. That's how this whole thing's going to work. And the counselor, the spirit in your life is going to teach you, he's going to grow you, he's going to give you what you need. Are you guys ready to go? That's the plan. It's almost as if he gets up to leave the table and no one else leaves. And they're like, what the heck? You going to send a ghost? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Can you imagine hearing about a Holy Spirit for the first time in your life? Can you imagine the first time that's talked to a crowd? Wait, you're going to die, you're going to leave, and you're going to send a ghost to come inside me? Shut up. I was like, possession? What is that? What is that? And after his speech, they're not ready to move. And he realizes, I got some explaining to do. This is going to take three more chapters. And in the brilliance of Jesus, he busts out one of the most amazing illustrations of all times. John chapter 15. I gave you time to find it. Here it goes. I am the true vine. My father is a gardener. He's going to cut off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he's going to prune. So it'll be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the words I've spoken to you. So remain. Can you circle, highlight, underline, remain? And every time you hear that. Can you circle, highlight, underline, remain? Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine. You're the branches. If, circle, highlight, underline, a person remains in me, and I in them, they will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do what? Apart from me, you can do what? Apart from me, you can do? You can't live the Christian life. You can't do the Christian life. You can't produce the Christian life. You won't live up to it. You never will. Don't ever try. Apart from me, you can do? So if anyone does not remain in me, they are like a branch that's just thrown away, and it withers. Such branches are picked up, and they're just thrown into fire and burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, then ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. So as the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Remain in my love. If you obey my commands, 
you remain in my love. Just as I've obeyed my father's commands and remained in his love, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. Your joy will be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I don't call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. He sits in an upper room that night and goes, guys, let me tell you something. It's, it's better if I go. What do you mean it's better if you go? See, see, if I'm here on earth, I'm in one place, in one spot, in one time. But the moment I die and I rise again and show you that I'm the Lord, to show you I'm the son of God, my spirit can be everywhere, anywhere. And I will send my spirit to be in you, to guide you, to live the Christian life in you, through you, to give you joy and a joy that is complete, to give you back everything that Babylon has robbed from you. That's how this is going to work. All right, guys, let's go. And he turns around and no one moves. He's like, are you in? And they're like, I don't, you, you lost me at Holy Ghost. What? Imagine if they got the, the table going and they, I, I just wonder. I wonder if they're sitting at the table <laughs> and Jesus is looking at them going like, okay, that was one of the best speeches I've ever given. <laughs> like I've waited my whole life for that speech and you guys didn't get it. Okay. You know who my father is, right? My father is, and they're like, God. And he's like, okay, so let's, let's make him the big cup. So like, this is God. And God's like a gardener. Like, he owns the garden, right? And they're like, so far I got you. Big cup is God. And he's like, all right. And I'm like, uh, I'm like the vine. Now, you have to understand, the Palestinian soil and the hillsides, incredible agricultural stuff. Especially when you're talking about the garden and vineyards and vines. Whatever you want to grow in that soil, you can grow it as long as you have a water source. It's, the sun is brilliant. He goes, so, so, so God's like a gardener. I'm the vine. You dudes are branches. All you got to do is remain in me. All right? Peter, you're the fork. Boom. That's right. John, listen up. You're another fork. Right now, I got one knife. They're all fighting over one knife. Oh, God, Bartholomew, you got a weird name. You're the knife. Here we go. <laughs> this is how it works. Do you get it? They're like, no, no, quite. Who is the fork again? It doesn't matter who the fork is. Just listen. So God's got this whole thing under control. He's going to give us everything we want. He's an amazing gardener. He's, he's, he's going to protect us from everything that's trying to get in. We're going to make sure we have everything we need to grow. And I'm the vine. All a branch has to do is stay in the vine. Remain there. Because apart from the vine, a branch can do nothing. We've seen it all over this week. They're just called sticks. No one's walked through the hills and saw a stick and said, oh, it used to be fruit. No, we don't call it a used-to-be fruit. A used-to-be leaves. They're just sticks now. What are they good for? Mmm, fire. And he goes, that's what they are. They're no good. You pick them up and, and you burn them. Because away from the vine, you can't grow anything. You can't produce anything. All you have to do then is remain in me. 
and then I remain in you. Apart from me, you can do So if you remain in my words, and now he starts putting the pieces together, and you're doing what I say, I will remain in you, and you will bear fruit, fruit that lasts. This Christian life only works when it is connected to Christ. You are a Christ E-N. Apart from me, you are just an Ian. You don't want to be an Ian. What are you, an Ian? I don't know, I'm just an Ian. Be gone. You're weird. You are a Christ, Ian, one who is in Christ. I am going to go back home. And for all of you that made a decision last night, and those of you that came in knowing you were Christians, you're going right back to Babylon. You're carrying more pornography in your pocket than we had in existence in 1980. You have more pornography in your pocket than the entire world's combined pornography in 1980. It's just there because the phone is now smart. And our smartphones have anything and everything I don't have to go looking for Babylon. I carry it with me. And I promise your Christian life will die. It is fruitless. It is barren. There is no growth. There is no joy. And you're going to wonder why you hate being alone at night. And I'll tell you, Because when you're alone, you don't like who you're with. Because Babylon has robbed you of your essence, your life, your nutrients, your growth, your fruit, what you were made for. You've replaced it with lust and desires. It doesn't grow. It only takes away. It doesn't build. It only decays. Oh, it looks great. Oh, oh, teenager, let me promise you. Sin is fun. If, if your sin isn't fun, you're doing it wrong and you're stupid. Why sin if it's not fun? Sin is fun. It lasts for a season. And it kills you. And it discards you. Because we have a thief that has come to steal, kill, and destroy. To rob you. Because he knows the power. He knows the power of four teenagers in a cafeteria that decide I'm going to do this come hell or high water. He fears what happens in the kingdom when four decide to stay. So if you remain in my words, if you remain by obeying what I've told you to obey, then I will remain in you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, because people aren't going to notice what an awesome fork you are. People are going to notice that you're different, you're set apart, you stand for something else. Oh, it's going to be a challenge. The locker room's going to know. 
you use a different language. You walk away from some of our jokes. You don't talk about her that way anymore. Oh, they're going to know. See, this is to your father's glory. Because you're going to be different. You're not just another Ian. You're going to be a Christ Ian. And Jesus says, here's the plan. You can't do the Christian life. You can't live the Christian life. You can't become the Christian life. What separates Christianity from every other religion, every other philosophy, every other world belief is the God that says this is the standard you must live is the God that says, and I will live it in you and through you. It's why they asked this guy, Apostle Paul, in the New Testament, he's the guy that I talked about a couple of nights, he was the terrorist that was killing Christians, and then his life was radically changed because he encountered a risen Christ, and now he's starting churches. And people pulled him aside and said, what the heck? Okay, you went from a terrorist killing Christians to starting churches. How in the world are you doing this? He says, okay, guys, come here, come here. I was crucified with Christ. And they're like, what? You were on a cross? He goes, no, 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 just listen to me. I died with Christ. Nevertheless, I still live. But it's not me living it. The life that I now live in the flesh, I simply live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not me anymore. I'm choosing lordship. I'm choosing to remain He's changing the way I think, like Romans 12, 1 and 2 we talked about last night. He's renewing my mind. He's giving me different thoughts, different purpose, a love for people that I didn't used to have. I'm seeing the quirky, weird things about me as gifts and tools and how they can be used for the kingdom. My life is starting to radically change. But guys, it's not me doing the change. I'm just remaining. I'm just remaining. I'm just remaining. So then the question comes, how do you remain? How do you remain? Well, obedience. Jesus said it clearly. Do what I say. Just stay in me. Well, Chris, isn't that working, trying to earn? No, it's not earning. There's effort involved, but it's not earning. 28 years ago, I had my rented tux. The women all had the church dresses. They had the Bible. We got together. We said, I do. The money switched hands. You know the story. From that day on... I didn't try to earn marriage. We signed a legal binding document that said we were married. August 26, 1995. 95? Wait, shh, don't clap because I got to check. Anyway, somewhere a long time ago, we got married. She'll tell me when it gets close and she'll tell me what to buy. And so uh, I just got to remain. <laughs> From that day on, I didn't try to earn my marriage. I just lived out what was already given to me. When is the last time you practiced the presence of God? When is the last time you did something that you enjoy doing, just keeping in mind that you have a God that cannot, will not ever take his hands, his eyes off of you? When is the last time you did something and in the midst of doing it, just kept concentrating on the fact that you have a God that cannot, will not ever take his hands, his eyes off of you because he is deeply, passionately, and intimately in love with you? When we, we had a little girl baby, and then, and then my wife gave me another little girl baby, and they were 18 months apart. 
and watching them roll around on the carpet and watching the first sister just adore her little sister. Anything little, you almost said her name, anything little Ferrari needed. Selah made sure she went and got it for her. And even if little Ferrari didn't need anything, Selah still brought blocks. She still brought toys. She brought everything. She'd just walk up and drop stuff. I'm like, don't drop it on her. She's two months old. She can't catch. But as, as little Ferrari grew up in Salem, they would just play and giggle. And as a dad, I would just sit on the couch. And it was my favorite sight in the world. And, and most of the time, they were clueless of my existence. They were just so enthralled by the time Karis was able to sit up and stand up. And Sailor would do blocks just so Karis could push him, and they'd all fall down. And that game would go on forever without end. And they would both just giggle and squeal. And there's nothing in the world that could take my attention away. I made them. Part of me is in them. They're mine. When is the last time you took a walk, a bike ride, watercolor, you shot hoops in the driveway, just keeping in mind, you have a God, a creator of the universe, who cannot, will not take his mind, his hands, his eyes off of you. When is the last time you just remained? To step out of Babylon and say, I'm done. This sin is cutting me off from this God. That prayer in Daniel 9 that we saw on the screen, he confesses sin, confesses sin of a nation, and commits to just walking in the presence. Let me tell you in closing how important this is. Two books over in Romans 5. This passage right here changed my entire life. Christian existence. My older brother loved me enough to say you're missing something and let me show you what it is. And it's not a what as our video ended. It's a who. Romans 5, 8. This is written by that terrorist we talked about last night. This is written by that Christian and prisoner and killer who has now been radically changed by the Holy Spirit in his life. He goes, let me tell you how the Christian life works. We read the first verse last night, but listen as we continue. 5.8. So God demonstrated or showed his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So since we have now been justified, that's a big legal term. We've been found innocent. We've been made right because of his righteousness. Nothing we have done, but because he died for our sins, we have been made righteous. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? And he stopped right there, and we're sitting in the living room of his house. He said, Chris, if you think you've been made right by Jesus' death, how much more are you saved through him? And I looked at my older brother, and I said, I don't, I don't understand what you're talking about. And he goes, I think that's why he had to repeat it again. So if, 
when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled. We were made right. We were brought together relationally to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Oh, not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now receive this reconciliation. Go to, go to, jump to verse 17. For if by the trespass or the sin of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Did you get it? Neither did I. Oh, Christian, let me tell you, this makes all the difference in the world between you being a Christian that is dead and dry and a stick that has no fruit and someone that has life and joy and purpose in their life. If you think you became a Christian last night because Jesus died for you, how much more are you saved because he lives for you? What? Oh, yeah. If you were made right through the death of Jesus, how much more are you saved through his resurrection? I was in my 20s before anyone ever told me this. What the entire New Testament is based on, what Jesus in the upper room was trying to get in the head of every disciple. <clears throat> you see, the cross was the death of Jesus, the empty tomb means he's alive. Jesus walked on earth, took the form of a human, became flesh, was in one place at one time. He rose again as God, and his spirit can be in all of us. So his death allows me to become a Christian. His life allows me to be the Christian that I become. His death forgave my sin. His life gives me power over Babylon, power over that phone in my pocket, power over sin. His death, the cross, got sin out of me. His life gets God into me. His death forgave my sin, so his life can now be in a sinless Chris. His death changed my destination. One day I have heaven. His life changes my destiny here on earth. His death was Jesus dying once and for all. His life means I die daily to myself so he can reign and rule in me and through me. His death changes where I'm going. His life changes who I am. His death, the cross, got me out of hell into heaven. His life got God out of heaven into me. If you think you're a Christian because Jesus died on the cross for you, rightly so, he forgave your sins. How much more are you saved because he rose again? This is your life. And apart from that, you can't be the Christian that you became last night. Apart from that, you can work for it. You can try it. Go pick up a stick tonight on the way to Victory Circle. Take it home, put it in the windowsill, and watch what happens. Nothing. It's dead. 
Might as well take the plastic fork home and plant it. Your mom's going to be, what'd they teach you at that camp? Shh, just watch. <laughs> Apart from the Holy Spirit, you can do. But if you remain, your life's going to change. Your life's going to look radically different from a stick. In fact, your external is going to look radically different. You're going to leaf. You're going to flower. You're going to bloom. You're going to have fruit. You're going to have purpose. You're going to have a significance that Babylon cannot offer and Babylon cannot touch. And you're going to have the type of significance that scares the hell out of hell. So everything in your pocket and your relationship and what you watch is set up to try to get you to unplug. Because our enemy is scared to death of Christ in you. He's not scared of you being a Christian because he knows you can't do it. He's not as scared of you getting all jacked up on Ponderosa. I'm going to go back and I'm going to take a stand on the football team. Shut up. You're not going to do it. The enemy's not afraid of you taking a stand because he knows you can't do it. But if you ever find out that you can remain, what that God does in and through you, well, it, it may just change two kingdoms, seven kings, 66 years of a nation. I'm going to give you 11 things to do for your Christian life to work. 11 things to do for your Christian life to work. Number one is this, remain. Number two, remain. Number three, remain. Number four, remain. Number five, remain. Number six, I have it written down right here. It starts with an R. Remain. 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 Ten times Jesus uses one word. The word abide to remain, to take up residence in. It's the same word to describe a turtle within a shell. You ever seen a turtle outside of the shell? Soup. That's the only time you see a turtle outside the shell is a dead turtle. The cartoons, you can go fast and spin the shell off of a turtle and he does that. That's a cartoon. You ain't seen it in real life. Ten times he wants one word in the ears of his followers because he knows this night he's going to the cross. He knows this night he's the only one that needs to be sacrificed. And he wants them to know without me, there's only one thing you have to concentrate on. Remain, 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 remain. Remain, 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 remain. And there's one more thing you need to do. Remain. <laughs> Eleven times. Eleven times in nine verses. He knows they're all about to run away from him. He knows they think they'll die for him. Oh, we'll all die for you. And he goes, you're just outside the vine. He knows they're all talk. He knows they'll desert him. He knows one will come back that night just to deny him three times and curse him. Because he knows they're outside the vine. 
that's going to come in three days. That's Easter. He just wants them to know one word. Practice my presence. Be in my word. When you do what I say, you remain in me. When you're obeying what I tell you, you're remaining in me. When you're following what I told you to do, you're remaining in me. And I will remain in you just as my father remained in me and I in him. And our joy will be in you. And it will make you complete. And you will bear fruit. But if you go home all jacked up because you're going to be a Christian, you can't do it. You can't live the Christian life. It's Christ in you. Jesus gave his life for me to take my life from me so he could live his life in me. It's different than any religion, any belief, any philosophy. Every other deity or God says there's something you can live up to. This book says you can't. Don't even try. I'm going to live it in you. Say you were in third grade. And you're sitting in school. And Nigel sits ahead of you in class. Anybody in here called Nigel? Good, we're going with Nigel. <laughs> and it's Wednesday. And Nigel turns around. Nigel's that kid that just talks to anybody, anything, anywhere for any reason. And Nigel turns around and goes, hey, guess where I'm going tomorrow? And you're like, you're going to school. Shut up, turn around. Nope, guess where I'm going? I don't care, Nigel, just be quiet. Go, go. Nigel, you're going to get us in trouble. Nope, you're going to go on to go. Nigel, what are you doing? I'm going to Disneyland tomorrow. You're not going to Disneyland tomorrow. We have school. No, I'm going to Disneyland. They say it's, it's the happiest place on earth, and I get to go to Disneyland tomorrow. If you're not here tomorrow, then this will be the happiest place on earth, Nigel. I don't care. Just go. <laughs> and you don't care. But you know what? Tomorrow you come to school, and his seat's empty, and you're like, son of a Nigel. <laughs> you think he really wants somewhere? And sure enough, Friday, you show up in class, and he's got the little dome hat with the big ears on it. And he's just home, <laughs> and you're like, oh, my gosh, I gave him the Disneyland, didn't he? And every 30 seconds, Nigel, can I tell you about it? No. Can you tell me? No. Can you tell me? And you're like, it's Friday. You can tell me whatever you want, Nigel. I got to go to Disneyland tomorrow. You, don't, you know where I went yesterday? And you're like, SeaWorld. Nope, Disneyland. It's the happiest place on earth. Well, did you have fun? He goes, it wasn't that much fun. You know what I mean? It wasn't that much fun. Have you been before? I've never been before. Well, what do you mean it wasn't that much? Well, we had to park way out, and there's a little train that took us all the way up to the front, and there's all kinds of people. We got there in the morning, and my dad had to uh, spend a lot of money to get us all in the Disneyland, and, and then we got our little tickets. Click, I got in the Disneyland, and we sat by the gate right there, and every once in a while, a train came overhead, and, and I heard a band playing once, but it just wasn't that much fun. And you're like, Nigel, what'd you go on? What do you mean when I go on? What'd you go on? Like, what'd you do in Disneyland? Oh, a couple hours later, a guy came by with cotton candy. We bought some cotton candy, and I cotton candy. So what'd you go on? I went on the blanket. My mom put out right inside the gate. My mom put out a blanket, and we just sat in the blanket. Like, Nigel, back it up. You went in Disneyland, and you sat on the blanket up against the gate the entire day? Yeah. You didn't go on anything? I just went on the blanket. <laughs> Nigel, that's... That's a terrible day. You didn't go to Disneyland? Yeah, I didn't. No, you didn't. Yeah, click. I got, okay, you, you got in Disneyland. But that was the worst day in Disneyland ever. He's like, I kind of felt that way. It got really dark, and we heard some music inside, and then they said we had to leave the park. 
Okay, okay. Let's take maybe the worst illustration in history. Even dumber. Say Nigel's sitting on the blanket in Disneyland and Walt Disney comes walking by. I know he's dead. <laughs> Say Walt Disney comes walking by. He's like, hey, buddy, you having a good time? And he's like, not much. He goes, you just taking a break? He's like, no, this is where I stay all day. And Walt's like, what? Yeah, my mom said I'd stay in the blanket. You know, they said it's the happiest place on earth, but I'm not that happy today. <laughs> what if Walt Disney's like, hey, do you mind if I take you through the park? Because I bet if you go to Disneyland with Walt, you don't have to wait in line. I bet there's all kinds of cool doors and places you go that no one else can ever experience. Can you imagine doing Disneyland with Walt? It is the dumbest illustration I could think of to try to point out how incredibly... bad our understanding of Christianity is. Jesus died on the cross to forgive you of your sins. Many of you last night stood and then stayed and you asked forgiveness and you asked Christ to come into your click, you got into the kingdom. And I have watched Christians for decades just sit in the Christian life. Where's the joy? Where's the peace? Where's the effect on my marriage, on my household, on my heart? Well, I guess in the end I get heaven. It beats hell, but not my much. Because Jesus' death forgives you. Click. You're in the kingdom of God. It is his risen life that allows you to experience everything he designed for you in the kingdom. Everything he has built for you, every place he wants to take you, it might not all be a yellow brick road. It might not all be success and great laughter. And in the midst of the most terrifying of rides, you are going to be buckled in with the creator of the universe. And in the midst of the scariest haunted house you may ever be living in or have to go through, you are with the one that has designed the kingdom. And if you've got in the kingdom of God because he died on the cross for you, congratulations, you've got the tickets. How much more are you saved if you walk this life with the risen Savior? How much more are you saved when you understand I can just remain and practice the presence of God and walk in his lordship? And he makes it work, and he makes it tick, and he drives his life. And he takes me wherever he wants to take me. My commitment is not where am I going in life. My only commitment is will I stay in Christ. And he will take care of the rest. If it's the only thing he wanted to drive into the heads of his camp his last night with them. Then I guess it's the only thing I really want to drive into yours. You've got 11 things to do. None of them are work for it. None of them are try to earn it. None of them are the most braggadocious commitment that I'm going to go back and I'm going to take a stand. Shut up. 
Babylon is huge and it will kill you. You just commit to remain, 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 remain. And when you're done with that, I'm going to invite you to remain. And you will sit back and be amazed at what this God is going to start doing in you and through you. It is his life, the Christian life. It is not your life. It is his in you, through you. You just remain. May I challenge you that came as a youth group. May you break out of your cliques. May you have room for those that realize when I go home, I cannot go back to the same friends. I cannot go back to the same relationship. I made a decision last night, and I am not strong enough to stand in Babylon. You are taking people home with you that changed last night, and they need a Danielle or a Daniel. They need a Shadrach or a Shannon. They need people in their life to replace friendships that are taking them away. And the reason why you're in a youth group is because you're supposed to be that body. May you allow God to work on your heart to say, I have room for them. And if God accepted them last night, I will accept them as well. And we will do this together in the cafeteria Babylon. And may the gates of hell shake with fear when they find out you are not committed to stand but that you are committed to remain. Because that is a battle. Hell itself cannot win. That's how God worked then. And that's how God works today. Teenagers who are done with Babylon and ready for him. What a story. And it's your story. Now it's your story. Father, may we take 11 things into our home, into the relationship with our parents, into the relationship with our siblings, in the relationship with the boy or girl sitting next to us, in the relationship waiting back home, and the friends waiting back home, in our school, in our music, in our academia, in our sports, Father God, in our hobbies. May we take 11 things. May it not be where are we going in life. May it simply be, where are we in Christ? And may you do the rest. Give us everything we need to remain, 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 remain. And when we're done with that, when it feels like Babylon is kicking our butt, when it feels like you are not there, when it feels like we are lost, may we simply commit to remain. And may you do. Everything your spirit wants to do in us and through us for your name, for your image, for your glory, not ours. In Jesus' name, amen. Ponderosa, Ponderosa, this was your week.